0: This video is sponsored by game toppers turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost hey everybody uh, welcome to another kind of top 10 list although this is a little bit different of a top 10 list so right now i'm in the process of working on like one or maybe like a small series of vlogs which i'll talk about in the future and i got kind of side railed into this sort of tangent and you can see from the title it's the top 10 emotional uh, games. So what this list is, now this is not in any order. I actually boiled it down to 10 and then randomly shuffled the order just because. Uh, so it's not like a one through 10 because with the topic that we're gonna be talking about, how do you really have like a best of? So what this is gonna highlight is basically 10 games that sort of elicit uh, an emotion. Now, what I, what I mean by that, by an emotion is I kind of ruled out things that were sentimental to me. So like San Juan is super sentimental to me as a game. Kalis uh, to a degree is sentimental and I always get kind of excited and happy when I'm playing that one. But I wanted something beyond that because if you know, if you play a lot of games, then those are emotions that are just kind of, kind of get carried with it, right? The excitement, the tension of who's gonna win or if you're playing a co-op, are we gonna win as a group or lose as a group? So something beside like, that sort of competitive tensions uh, an emotion beyond that. And also I kind of ruled out any sort of sort of game experiences where it was there's a certain sort of emotion or sentimentality or something based on the kind of group of people that were playing because I think that's kind of its own thing. And I do think the games, you know, in isolation do get some credit for that of course. Uh, but I wanted to try to boil down to 10 games and I'll have a handful of honorable mentions after these 10 but to me these are pretty kind of distilled and for the most part kind of unique and discreet in the emotion that they convey so it's like I said it's not just going to be oh it's exciting you know it's going to be some other kind of other emotional space that we live in so let's jump into the list so the first game on the list is kingdom death monster uh, so this game, uh, the emotion that comes out of this game is probably best described as pure existential uh, dread, and uh, because if you're not familiar with the game, you basically are sort of uh, sort of birthed into this sort of hellscape that you're not really sure where you're at, and you're kind of trying to cobble together a uh, civilization, so to speak, in this sort of weird nightmare dimension. And you have sort of dungeon crawl, sort of boss fights. And then that'll go back to kind of a civilization building, kind of bookkeeping session, which you see in a lot of these kind of typical dungeon crawl games or epic fantasy games, which are usually set in like a Tolkien-esque sort of setting. But this one is like you start off like purely naked and you're like, you know, you're grabbing skeleton bones and all kinds of different stuff and having to make really tough choices throughout the course of sort of your civilization, your little village, so to speak, that that you create. And a lot of the imagery and everything is just very dark. And so it's a, this is a very dark place of an emotion. And it's sort of just the absolute, the most bleakest sort of setting that you can get. And it's not just purely like a bunch of dark sort of, you know, whatever, heavy metal art and all that stuff. It's it's more than that. It's the gameplay and all that stuff really sort of lends itself to that that idea where people are, you're, you know, they're dying, you're losing them left and right. You're having to make tough choices about, you know, kind of, sort of to like leave people behind in a sense, in some ways. So this game just really just permeates that whole emotion. And to me, I mean, for my money, the game delivers on that and puts you in that headspace. Now, whether or not you want to be in the headspace is one thing, um, but it is at least, I think, an interesting place to be. I don't own the game anymore or anything like that. But it's an interesting kind of space to explore just from a sort of objective setting to kind of step out and be like wow a game is totally doing you know what some of these uh, better horror movies and other sort of ideas in other media kind of convey here and there's some kind of self-reflecting commentary it buried in there somewhere oh, it's been a while since i played it so i couldn't get to that but as far as the pure emotional state of existential dread kingdom death monster really does it like no no other uh, so again i don't know a lot of people that want to live in that world so that's kingdom death monster uh, the next one is probably the exact opposite And this is Ready, Set, Bet. Now, it's a little bit hypocritical because at the beginning in the intro, I said, well, I'm trying to get away from just being exciting. But to me, this is maybe the most exciting game I've ever played in terms of a board game uh, because it's a horse race. And so you, in my opinion, you should hook up whatever app you've got to like a, a large tablet or an iPad or to a TV screen if you can kind of project it with Apple Share or Chromecast or something like that. And then have the announcer kind of coming through the app, you know, and moving and sort of virtually rolling the dice and moving the horses along and all that stuff and calling out the race and just injecting that excitement inflection into the game. And then everybody is always standing when we play this game. And we're placing bets on this sort of uh, board that looks like a craps table almost. And you're making different bets and there's like different sort of... uh, Uh, prop bets and different little weird bets that you can make and you're also betting on who's going to get first second or third and then by the end of each game it's just a pure shouting match and it there's no like anger in the shouting it's all elation and joy and sort of faux anger i guess you could say or faux disappointment if your horses or your bets aren't working out but it's super fun even if you crash and burn on the bets it's still got this really just kinetic vibrant just you know, very shaking kind of energy that just vibrates everywhere. Um, Yeah. And so this one just, if you had to distill down that excitement, um, there's not, I can't think of any other game that really was like this. There's one that was uh, something Wall Street. It was an originally a different game. I don't remember the originals, uh, but it was basically Wall Street. And you were basically shouting out bids and stuff. And it was just a complete free-for-all real-time auction. And it was like, you're on the Wall Street floor and everybody's shouting for stock sales and stuff so that one is pretty close to this one um this one is like that that one could be slightly frustrating in some senses but you know most for the most part i really like that game and this one though it doesn't have really any of the frustration to go with it um so get ready set bet for that one now the next one here so it's a different take here this is onk this is uh designed by eric lang uh Released by Kulmini or Nott a couple of years ago. This is like his third in the trilogy of, you know, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, then Ankh. He did Chaos in the Old World. So this big area control game. Now, the thing that's emotional about this is the whole, like, player elimination. So if you're not familiar, you play Ankh to a certain number of rounds. And then kind of the last two players that are kind of in last place, they will merge. And they will fuse together and become one sort of entity on the game board and win or lose together. And so that's really cool from like an emotional sort of space because now it's like you against everybody else, but you have, a, you have a partner, you have a buddy. So it's you two against the world in a way. And that is a cool sort of feeling that I've just not really seen in any other game. Now you can have like a one versus many game, you know, maybe I'm a dungeon master type of player and I'm, I, and I'm you know, playing against the players. But that's almost like trying to set up a story element and narrative thing, like playing a sort of a light Dungeons and Dragons game. But this one, it's very hard to sort of pinpoint this, but there is like a level of camaraderie there. And, you know, like I said, us against the world, which is really neat in that aspect. And uh, frankly, for me, it was what put Ankh above the other ones. It's just that unique experience that just does not, I've not seen that in any other game. Um, and i I can just keep saying the same thing over and over with this, but that is such a unique experience, and I know a lot of people don 't like it, and that 's cool but I think that 's it 's just a fun place to be because you 're still like competitive and you 're still able to win the game or at least get close i mean there's it 's definitely possible to win the game uh as the uh, as as sort of like the outcast at the beginning because you can fuse and the way the turn structures kind of work and stuff will have something to do with that but um, again, just a really, really kind of one-of-a-kind, unique experience there with Ankh. Uh, the next one on the list here is Bomb Squad. And this one is also... I've talked about tension in the in- introduction about who's going to win or are we going to win as a, as a co-op. Now, Bomb Squad is a co-op and it uses this real interesting mechanic which was originally in a game called Hanabi where you have cards that will like give you different actions, allow you to move this like little robotic bomb diffusing thing around the board and try to get to different hostages and diffuse bombs and stuff. But you don't look at your cards, you face them outward. So you can see the faces of everybody else's cards. You can't see your own, but when it comes to your turn, there's like little hints and stuff that you can get, but you obviously can't tell them exactly what the card is. And there's kind of an order to, uh, the way the cards are in your hand that you can use as some kind of strategic way to influence people. But this is like high wire like hair standing up on your arms kind of tension and it's really great at that it's really great so it definitely puts you in the space of these sort of you know first responder law enforcement types of people That are in a horrifically tense situation with this, that could turn into a complete catastrophe at the end of it. So it really puts you kind of in that mental space with this game. And I've never really seen a game that does it quite effectively to this level. Like it is absolutely stressful to me to play this game. And, but like in all the best ways possible. And I think this is the one that just does it in like the purest sense and probably the best sense, arguably, of anything like that. Now, that can be the case for a lot of co-ops, a lot of different, uh, you know, styles of games. But because of the setting here and sort of the, the way that you just don't know information feels very real to me because, you know, you might, it's almost like, you know, in certain like law enforcement situations, I can imagine, you know, you have a playbook that you're supposed to go by. And then that book doesn't always apply and emotions get in the way and all these kinds of terrible things. But this puts you in that kind of situation, right? And, and I think in, in, in a sort of benign enough sort of setting because it's, it's a robot that you're trying to maneuver. So it's just like the sort of the application of the, the, the paperwork and the logic meeting kind of reality. It gives you that sense of it. Obviously, it's much more abstract than any real life situation, but it really just pulls that off. So that's Bomb Squad. Uh, the next one is A Fog of Love. And this is a very interesting one as well because this is going to vary, I think, depending on a lot of the players that play it. So it's a two-player game sort of designed for partners, you know, married couples, dating partners, however you want to look at it, or even people that aren't may- maybe romantically involved. You could still play it with somebody that you were had a platonic relationship with. And I think that could be a lot of fun. I think uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, they talked about I think on a podcast or something, where I, I, I could be misremembering who was doing it, but it could be Matt and Quinn's from Shut Up and Sit Down. They did it with each other, and they're not it, involved in a, a romantic relationship. So they have a situation, but the way they spoke about it, if you can go find that episode, it's hilarious. It's just a, it's a great listen. And I haven't played this with my wife several times, and it's, it was very interesting. So you kind of like take on these like roles. So it's almost like a role-playing aspect, not in terms of like D&D, but... You know, you hear about like couples and partners like doing role playing in different situations to kind of like, I don't know, usually for like either therapy reasons or just, you know, bedroom reasons or other sort of disrelationship reasons to kind of just explore each other's mental space. And this game does that. So again, you don't have to be, I think, be in a romantic relationship to do that because you could do that with a, a close friend or even a stranger. I mean, if you get the two right strangers together and you kind of demark out that sort of, let's call it a safe space. Where you can kind of just play and have a little fun I think that that's the only thing that really matters here so you get into this sort of just interesting mental space to sort of play around and push and pull on different lit levers and different sort of expectations about what people are because in the game when you role play you could just you can come in and maybe you're like a rich jerk and just a real playboy or something or you know on the woman's side you could do this like this meek virgin who's never really been out of the house and how do those two sort of personalities interact and you're sort of projecting a lot of your own sort of baggage and biases with you so it's a cool kind of place to explore and really just kind of explore lots of different emotions and lots of different takes and again i think the 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 players involved i think you can play it with four players or something there's some expansion or variance or something too but um depending on who's in there um I think it could be very, very interesting, you know. And my hunch tells me it's better if you're kind of closer with somebody because then you can sort of play off each other and and what you know about each other too because that is a big part of it. Um, So it's not really like a specific emotion, but you can play in a lot of different emotional spaces uh, with Fog of Love. So the next one is Spyfall. And this is again for a very singular aspect of the game. So Spyfall is kind of a thing where you're trying to Put together whatever the clue is, sort of like um, Digs it or Code Names or um, So Clovers, a lot of games like that, where there's a clue, and you know, somebody will know what it is and be the traitor, and you know, other people won't know what it is, and some other people will know what it is, but they don't want to be obvious that they know what it is because they're like the seer and werewolf, and you're doing it through different like sort of questions or card play or different things like that and so Spyfall is that kind of game, and there's something about Spyfall where you, if you are like the traitor, it just is absolutely terrifying to be the person that has to pretend like they don't know what's going on, but also, you know, deviate the group solution and the group think to the wrong answer. Uh, Werewords has the same thing, so in Werewords, you're like, you get the word that the the app that you use gives you a word and then you're throwing out 20 questions is it alive is it bigger than the house is it smaller than an iphone blah 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 blah, all the way down um and then you have like the werewolves and that trying to throw everybody off and they uh will know the word and throw it off and all this stuff um that in the cases you've usually got a team of werewolves and stuff like that so it's not as big a deal and you're not forced in in words to like put forth a hypothesis. You can just ask questions or in Spyfall, you have to be, it's really hard not to look like you're either trying to throw people off or just give the answer. Cause like in your brain, when you get that, you're like, okay, I know what the answer is. So I need to ask a question that's sort of leading in that direction and do it with a straight face. And all of these sort of layers or just play dumb and throw it off and all that stuff and not get caught so being this sort of internally in this paranoid way the center of attention is just a strange feeling it's like you haven't even done anything yet in that game and you just feel like everybody has like removed your clothes the spotlight is shining on you everyone's standing around in the dark pointing at you and it just gives you this absolute paranoid feeling and it is like the and it's also it's like the worst kind of rush <laughs> because it is a rush but it's like i don't want this i don't want this rush right and it's just it's just mind-boggling so that is it's just got this very one-of-a-kind experience so that's spyfall uh, the next one is freedom the underground railroad and the trick with this one is is there's some other like war games and other historical games that do similar stuff, but not quite to the degree uh, that Freedom does. Now, Freedom is a game about sort of freeing the slaves uh, from the South in the United States and trying to sort of escape them up through the Underground Railroad all the way up into the North, out into Canada for extra points, right? And then also trying to work this other kind of side game to get uh, abolition passed and then uh, move them away from slave catchers and all those kinds of different things. And the thing about this game is that is emotional, not only, I mean, obviously in this case, the setting and everything is is horrific and all that, all the baggage of all that stuff, you know, that's all there. But through the course of the game, there are many moments where you have to kind of sacrifice um, in the terms of like the space on the board where certain slaves are escaping And you've got to make the choice that we've got to escape and go up here because I can do these other actions and do these things. So you've got to leave some behind. And that's horrible. That's terrible. And that level of sacrifice is so like, and I'm I'm going to say this word exquisite, not in the sense that it's good. It's not exquisitely good, but it's like so just pungent and just right there in your face. That it really takes me to a place in time that I can't even fathom in my brain in the year 2023. If I go back to, you know, the 1800s at this time, and having that real life sort of decision there is just absolutely—it's horrific. It's horrific because it, your your ethos, your persona in the game is to trying to do. The, the, the good, you're trying to do the good. You know, you're trying to get rid of this terrible law and also physically, in a sense, it, you know, help real people escape. And then, so, but the game really puts it in the place of, yeah, there would have been like t- horrific choices to make. So, again, the idea of sacrifice in that sense, like it doesn't, this still has not left me. I mean, it's been probably eight years since I played this game and uh you know i don't have it anymore. more it, it, it's it's technically one of my favorite games of all time but it's like something i don't want to like go like oh let's do this this will be fun you know but it is an experience that like is will never have left me It'll never leave me um and so that, that just has left that lasting impression on me so that's again the, the key there is that that feeling of sacrifice and i don't know if sacrifice is an emotion but it does have an emotional you know, component to it. I'm sure there's some fancy Latin word that would probably get at what I'm talking, talking about there. But that's Freedom Underground Railroad. Um, next one, completely other side of the spectrum here, is Exploding Kittens. Now, Exploding Kittens is a very silly game where you have these different cards and you have cards that will, you'll draw it. And if you draw an Exploding Kitten, then boom, you're out of the game and you're eliminated. And the game goes pretty quick. Uh, a lot of people have heard about this game. It was a huge Kickstarter. And you can get other cards that will Diffuse the Exploding Kittens. And then, the, here's the trick though, is when you get that, everybody starts with one Diffuse card that you can use. You get the Exploding Kitten, and then you stick it somewhere back in the deck. So you kind of do that under the table, out of sight. So you could just put it right back on top, and give, the, and then you pass the deck to the next player. You could stick it on the bottom, you can stick it in the middle, you can kind of pretend like you're shuffling it around, and you know nobody knows really where you're sticking it, and... So that is neat because it has this surprise element. So Bomb Squad was absolutely like almost like a dreadful level of tension. This is just a comical level of silly surprise. And there's a neat sort of like uh, contract doesn't seem like the right word, but it's almost like a weird contract between the player that's, you know, hiding the bomb, hiding the exploding kitten. And then the next player that's going to receive it. So there's this cool like interplay there that gets derived out of that where you can just talk a bunch of nonsense and all those kind of things like that. So Cockroach Poker is another one that does a really good job of this where you sort of lie about what the card is that you just had. But there's something about Exploding Kittens where, because you have to actually like flip the card up and it's like opening a gift. It's like this, you know, surprise attitude. And so it's like a gag gift. You're giving somebody a gag gift or not, you know, you're tricking them. There's actually nothing there. You put it on the bottom or you put it in the middle of the deck. And there's something about that surprise aspect that's just really obvious in this case uh with exploding kittens so anyway there's that one it, it, it's it's just got this little whimsical whimsical practical joke kind of vibe to it that i like uh, so the next one we got two more uh is dead of winter the long night and this really kind of sits right alongside um freedom underground railroad obviously in a totally fantastical setting of dead of winter and to me it really gets elevated with the um the expansion the long night I, I like dead of winter i mean just fine with the base game but the long night expansion it adds some cool other elements gameplay wise in terms of like some more sci-fi stuff on top of the whole zombie apocalypse stuff that's cool and i like that and it makes the game playable as as a co-op a pure co-op which the original i didn't really like unless you played with the trader. um But the interesting thing about this is the new Crossroads cards in Dead of Winter Long Night are much more like, I'd say, R-rated. And so in the context of this sort of fantasy, sci-fi, zombie game, you have some very raw, real um, Crossroads cards to deal with. And I I wanted to leave this one in here along with Freedom because Freedom is definitely more grounded and... um, I don't know. It just lives in a different con- kind of contemplative space. Whereas Dead of Winter, because it's fake, you're in this fake world, and you're just, uh, for me, when I'm playing it, I'm playing like in a real gaming sense of resource management. You know, trying to manage like all the barricades that you're building. How, how I'm trying to be efficient with my actions. So I'm looking at it in a real sort of gamer sort of way. With that, and then all comes along here this very dark scene of a choice again of having to maybe like abandon somebody again, like in in Freedom or in uh, Kingdom Death, but it kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's like a huge like splash of ice water, and there's something about that sort of just wrinkle on that element for me that is uh that's interesting and it's just it's just always like very shocking. Whereas like Kingdom Death and in Freedom, it's like a it's again it's more of an existential brooding uh that's sort of a long-term type of thing. Whereas when you're playing Dead of Winter, it's like even though it's zombie stuff, it's still kind of silly and fun and ridiculous and there's sci-fi elements and laser guns with the expansion. And then da 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 and then it's like, oh, here's a this terrible situation that happens every day in real life today. Now think about that. <laughs> so it just throws you off your your rocker. And that's interesting to me to just be in that space where you're just like, oh, I'm playing a fun little silly board game. And then bang, you can just get hit, hit over the head. Um, anyway, so that's it. I can't really say much more to it than that. It's just an interesting experience. Uh, so that's Dead of Winter Long Night. So I'm going to do one more and then a couple of honorable mentions, which kind of competed to get up here and were either kind of redundant or... Well, we'll get to that so next one here is uh co2 um and uh this is from uh vital Assertive. it was published by stronghold games and this is basically a game about sort of global warming global climate change and what you're doing is competing almost as as countries but like corporate entities trying to in fact like exploit a market of um I forget what they're called in the game, like carbon credits to sort of advance, you know, and become like the richest off of, you know, the energy shift from, you know, coal and gas, whatever, to green energies. So you're trying to win that game because it's kind of a semi-co-op. Now, if everybody's just like out to just bilk everything and just, you know, doesn't care about the uh, you know, the rising gases and all the different levels and the heat level and stuff, then everybody will lose. But if you can kind of get that under control, it's better to kind of come out on top of that. So there's a real interesting sort of tension there. And this kind of happens with a lot of semi-co-ops. Uh, very few of them work. Um, and Dead of Winter, I mentioned just a second ago, is kind of a semi-co-op, but it's more of like a trader game. This is a full semi-co-op. There's no like a trader. Nobody's like the bad guy that's trying to throw things off. It's just at the table there might be somebody who's kind of playing at that who's not really doing their part to sort of contribute to the you know bringing down of the global temperature and then trying to you know just be the most profit efficient so that's an interesting sort of high wire act because you can have some people focused on on balancing things out but they may you know their end game may suffer because they didn't spend enough time trying to profit off of that um and i just find that you're like what emotion is this well I see this a lot in the world, and I see it in myself sometimes where you look at situations and you 're like, "'How do I benefit off of that and that 's a tendency I just don 't like um, It makes me want to like shut down like just in general um, because it's it 's like it 's like something I feel like I have to fight, and I think other people would probably acknowledge this that they sometimes have to fight and you have to sort of maybe train yourself not to give in to that sort of selfishness of it. Um, but in a certain degree, like there is a certain amount of selfishness that is good because you want to take care of yourself. And um, But there's also like sort of the larger good because if you don't take care of the larger good, then there won't be any good for you to go and visit because if you're only taking care of yourself and everything else falls apart, you know, there's like a balancing act, right? To all that thing. And the game really exquisitely does that because to me the game's very abstract i mean we're not talking about like real science you know baked baked into the game but it is something that is talked about today it's it's still a present thing this game came out like 10 years ago and this topic has been kicked around for at least you know 30 40 years really with you know renewed vigor on people that disbelieve it or whatever you know i mean the whole thing and being in that space is somebody who is trying to, if you just remove yourself from the argument side of it, and you put yourself in a space of, okay, I've, I've acknowledged it now in, in, in the scope of the game, you've acknowledged the problem, you've acknowledged what to do, and then you're like, well, how much do I have to really contribute to fixing this, right? And that just kind of goes for everything. You know, it doesn't have to be this sort of hot button topic necessarily, but that's an interesting sort of space to be in, and you put yourself in that kind of situation where you know like how much do you really want to contribute to to things in in a and the other part is it's also very in an abstract sense because if it was like a real situation, so there's like the let's say you're walking down the street, this is kind of a general thought problem. you're walking down the street and you see there's a child drowning in a pond or something, and you're like, "Oh, I just bought these new shoes for two hundred and fifty dollars." I don't want to run into the pond to rescue the child. Well, you—you're a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's it, so that—I mean—that's just a thought exercise. It's not a real thing. Um, and you kind of explode, explode that out to sort of a massive scale. It is—it's a, a weird—it's a weird emotional space to be in. And so that's why this is on that list because it's—it's—it is a hard one. It's a hard one to really sort of pinned down about what do I do? What do I do? And this abstracts it enough that you don't have to get mired in like very specific things. You're like, oh, well, wind is not as good as solar and wind, you know, kills birds. And, you know, fracking does this to the water, but fracking is cleaner this way. You don't have to get into like the details of that kind of stuff because it abstracts it all. But it just puts you kind of in that pure sense of, you know, how selfish am I going to be today? And so I like that. I like that space that it puts you in. It's, it's interesting to be in that space. Okay, so that's the 10. Again, not a top 10 or anything. Not, there's no order. So a couple others. I'm just going to rapid fire. Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I wanted to put this one on the list. Honestly, this one should be on the list, but I cannot spot, speak about it unless I talk spoilers. So the very end of that game is just... I can't I can't speak about the emotion unless I spoil it so i'm not going to do that i'm not even going to just put you know red flags or anything but the end of that game is just so uniquely like um let's say it's uniquely keanu reeves moment that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) it just has this really cool moment that is just interesting so pandemic legacy season two uh more so than season one i haven't played season zero yet i've got it sitting over there it's been it's been dogging me for like two years So the next one I'll we'll talk about is Rear Window. This one is also tricky because the emotional part of it was nebulous. I talked about it a lot last year about how being like a storyteller and trying to lie, trying to get people over over the board on certain ideas and not others because it's based on the movie. Uh if you want more detail on it, go watch my review or my top list from last year. I think it was my number 5. Um I don't want to repeat myself too much here, but I don't, I couldn't really pin it on like some kind of emotion like because even co2 was a little bit nebulous in terms of an emotion right but it's an it's an emotional space to be in that kind of decision making and with rear window it was it's even more removed like there's an emotional component to it but it's just so like hard to describe um so there's that one but good it it, like just pushes lots of weird buttons you know what i mean so phantom leader kind of too much like uh freedom underground railroad or um, lots of other war games have this kind of thing. Phantom Leader also that kind of thing of sacrifice because you're managing your sort of fleet of pilots during the Vietnam War. They're getting shot down. You're to maintaining their morale and their spirits and they're kind of trying to level up. So it feels like this team of people that is your team and all that stuff. Um, and uh, it's just a it's, it's a terrible situation because there's like a, a whole aspect of the perception of the war at home and how how really justified is this war and that whole thing kinda comes into play and all that stuff. But I thought Freedom kinda did, you know, kind of that same idea a little bit more elegantly, I think, than Phantom Leader does. And a lot of war games have this sort of element to it when you really sit down and think about it and think about the impact and the costs and the consequences of some of the decisions that you're making. So Phantom Leader specifically has a little bit more elements to that, but generally not all war games but a lot of the war games and stuff uh, kind of have those elements and the last two kind of go hand in hand and again this is uh, almost two things that i wanted to say which the main list are not so this is descent legends of the dark the third edition of descent and then Oathsworn. so these to me are really good narrative stories that have their own plot and arc and everything. They're not procedurally generated narrative adventures like A Frostgrave or Eldritch Horror, uh, which is another one I kind of thought about, but I'm like, oh, it's just, it's kind of just procedurally narrative. And is that really an emotional state? And the same with this. these, these aren't procedurally narrative, they're very on rails plots, sworn and Descent, Legends of the Dark, but they each have had, you know, very kind of emotionally impactful moments in the story um, of the game. And so that's a kind of interesting part. So, you know, we started with Kingdom Death. And a lot of that is mostly to do with the setting. Now, a lot of it is in the mechanics of, of that game. Those get a lot of credit. And even in Descent and Elsewhere, the mechanics do, I think, and get some credit. That's why I wanted to have an honorable mention. But the driver is really kind of the story part of it, not so much the mechanics in these two. Although, again, I can argue kind of both sides of that coin with those two games because some of the mechanics are just outright like I don't know, maybe this is why they're all mentions to me, they're surprisingly evocative of just funny incidents or just awe-inspiring sort of heroic things that happen, you know and the mechanics do drive that but it's a little bit more on the story side so really all these honorable mentions you can kind of throw on the list, it's just a little bit harder to kind of pin down to that exact sort of emotional state okay yep so there is that top 10 emotional games that i think explore you know that other kind of space and i think it's interesting and there's a lot of interesting places that you can go and you can sort of almost like trick the players into getting into some kind of a certain headspace and a lot of games like almost all games kind of do that because you're either role-playing the situation or you're observing the situation you're seeing the interactions of You know, characters on the board, or whatever, or certain events that will happen that will maybe just, you know, kind of trigger you in a certain way, kind of react to some memory or thoughts that you've had about certain things. So a lot of, I mean, lots of games could go on this kind of list based on uh, like your biases and stuff. So my last point that I wanted to leave with is like, so this is going to be a pretty kind of biased sort of list based on sort of my, I don't know, whatever personality outlook kind of thing. I could see a lot of things like, you know, this is going to sound silly because it's the only thing that popped my head, but I could see like somebody say, I really love animals and I really love birds and I love nature and all that stuff. And so wingspan might be something on their list. And I think that's valid, right? So I think that's a valid kind of thing to say. Um, so this is kind of just a conversational kind of thing. And I wanted to just kind of leave with that point was I'm curious about what some of your games that have emotionally done something to you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah, but so I wanted to, I wanted to leave that thing about Wingspan because I'm like, well that makes sense, you know, to me I like birds, we feed the birds back here in, in my backyard, and I I love to look at them and see them eating and kind of doing their thing in the day and just kind of realizing that, you know, like you share the universe with them you know, and that sounds like very hippie, but it's a nice meditative sort of space to be in, right? When you see that kind of thing, and that that's an there's an emotional quality there, right? Um, I don't know what that is. Like again, there's probably some weird Latin word, like some appreciation for life type of thing, right? Not just other life, but just there is life, right? So that that's an emotional state. So if somebody came along and told me, oh, wingspan, because I happen to just really love birds, I love being being out in the wild with birds, that is cool. So yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Um anyway, just kind of a this is a, pla- a place to kind of leave the conversation, but I'd be curious to you know what other people think about this kind of stuff. So anyway, thank you.